Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. All right, let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. We're in Romans 9 this morning, Romans 9, 1 through 5. Go ahead and find that passage, if you will. If you're not uh, familiar with the Bible, Romans is in the New Testament. You'll go to the New Testament and find the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. After the four Gospels are the book of Acts, or is the book of Acts, and after the book of Acts is the book of Romans. So Romans uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. Uh, What we typically do here at Northwood, you know this because you're here most Sundays, is we typically walk through books of the Bible. We spent the last few months walking through the book of Psalms together. But for the next five weeks, we want to do something a little bit different. Uh, I want us to have some very uh, uh, serious heart-to-heart conversations about uh, sharing the gospel, about uh, how we can be more effective and do a better job of making Christ known within the sphere of influence that God has given us in our community and in our world. And so over the next few Sundays, we're going to look at some some different passages from different books of the Bible that I think are going to help us uh, to be better equipped uh, to do what God has called us to do, to make disciples, to share our faith. And so I think this is going to be super helpful and super practical for us. And so this morning, we're starting in Romans chapter 9. Romans 9, 1 through 5 is where we are this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay, because in the seat before you down in the book rack, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up and find Romans 9 with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you, read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. Romans 9, 1 through 5 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. Hey, let me ask you a question. If you could think back over things over the past couple of centuries that have been invented, what do you think is the most significant invention of the last couple hundred years? Now, you might think lots of things. Maybe for you it's the internet, uh, television, um, toothpaste. I have no idea what you think is the greatest invention of the last 200 years. I think one of the greatest inventions of the last 200 years uh, is blue jeans, right? Because you, you love your blue jeans, don't you? I mean, every one of us, we got four or five pair at least in the, in the closet at home. You know, blue jeans, they, they, uh, they go with anything. You can wear them to work. You can wear them to church. You can wear them to wherever. Uh, and so blue jeans, right, are just, man, they're great. Don't you like blue jeans? And, and so I brought a picture of a pair of blue jeans this morning. Uh, that looks like a pair of blue jeans that, that you might see somebody wear, right? Because there's all kinds of styles of blue jeans these days. They, they look, some of them look nice and fresh and blue. Some look not so fresh. Some 
them have more holes than fabric. I mean, you know how it works, right? And so, so I, I kind of like this pair of blue jeans, but let me tell you something about this pair of blue jeans that you see on the screen. Uh, there was an archaeologist in, in uh, New Mexico who went into one of those old mines. And as he was in one of those old mines looking around, he found this pair of blue jeans. This pair of blue jeans, uh, uh, the, the, the date on these blue jeans, he, he, we, the, the archaeologists estimated to be in the 1880s. So one of the first pair of blue jeans. Isn't that wild? And so when you find something like the first pair of blue jeans or one of the first pairs of blue jeans, what do you do? You sell it. And so, so he, he sold these, this pair of blue jeans for $87,000, right? Isn't that great? $87,000. It's always been interesting to me, uh, the, the, the things that we value. A pair of blue jeans, $87,000. When I was a kid, uh, I had the opportunity to go to a Walmart one time. And at that Walmart, they had on display a Honus Wagner baseball card. Do you remember that Honus Wagner baseball card that, that's so famous? It, it, it was on tour around the country, one of the, 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 those cards. And, and it was on display at Walmart. And I remember as a child going and seeing that card at Walmart. And I was in awe because I was a big baseball card collector. And I, I laid my eyes on one of those Honus Wagner baseball cards. That card sold about a year or so ago for six point something million dollars. Isn't that wild? It, it's amazing. What, what we value, uh, the value we place on things, right? And, and so when something's really valuable to us, here's what we do. We put it in a vault. We put it somewhere where we can only see it, but not touch it, right? Very valuable things go into a museum and, and we can look at them and we can enjoy them. But here's reality. A Honus Wagner baseball card, you will never hold it in your hand. As much as you, unless you go somewhere and knock down a, a vault and you, you steal the thing, you ain't going to hold it in your hand, right? That $87,000 pair of blue jeans, you're never going to hold them in your hands and you're certainly never going to wear them, right? It's just not going to happen because things that are valuable, we put up in a safe place. And things that are valuable have what? Not many owners. Those few Honus Wagner baseball cars are in circulation, there's only a few people in the world that own those. That pair of blue jeans, there's only one person that owns that pair of blue jeans, right? Things that are valuable are owned by who? The person that has it in his or her possession. Do you follow me? Things that are valuable, we tend to lock away. And things that are valuable, they belong only to the owner. And here we are in this room this morning and what you possess what you possess as a follower of Jesus and what I possess as a follower of Jesus is something far more valuable than a Honus Wagner baseball card and something far more valuable than a pair of $87,000 blue jeans. You and I possess the most valuable thing imaginable, salvation in Jesus Christ. And you did not purchase it. It was purchased for you through the blood of Christ. And, and it was given to you as a, a gift of God's grace, all you had to do was respond by faith. You and I are in possession of the most valuable gift in existence, salvation in Jesus Christ. And not only do you possess it, you are called to give it away. That's the calling that God has placed on our lives to share with others this valuable possession that we have, to share with others that they can have it too. You know this. You know that the calling on your life and my life as followers of Jesus is to share the hope of Jesus Christ. And you also know this, that while that is the calling that is on our lives, man, we struggle, don't we? 
We struggle to have those gospel conversations. We, we struggle to know what to say. Uh, we, we struggle with fear of saying it. Uh, we just struggle to do the one thing that we know that God has called us to do. Yet we know also that we live in a world that desperately needs the gospel. My friend, you know this, don't you? People in this world desperately need Jesus. How do I know this? Because we live in a culture that can't even tell the difference anymore between a man and a woman. Do you understand? We live in a culture that is just, just really dark and depraved, a culture that desperately needs the hope of the gospel. You know that you're called to share the gospel and you know the world around you needs the hope of the gospel. And so what do we do? How do we grow in our ability to share the gospel well? How do we grow out of that, that fear that we sometimes have? How do we know what we're supposed to say when we're in those conversations when we have the opportunity to share the gospel? Over the next five or six weeks, that's just what I wanna talk about. I wanna give you some very practical instruction, some practical help that I think that God is going to use in your life uh, to, to rekindle in you a desire to make Christ known and I think God is going to use in your life just to help you to know when you get in those opportunities, when you're able to speak the truth of Christ, that you'll know what to say. And so over the next five or six weeks, we're, we're going to talk about these things. Now, we started this actually, and some of you remember this, some of you weren't here when we did this, back in, in the beginning of 2020. Some of you remember we went over to the Family Life Center as the entire faith family gathered around tables and we began to talk about this. But COVID kind of disrupted what we were doing just a bit. And so in a sense, we're coming back to the conversation that we started a couple years ago. So in your life connection groups, you're going to be walking through some of these things that we began to discuss together in that Family Life Center a couple years ago. But this morning, what I want to do from Romans 9 is I just want to show you if we're going to have conversations that help to connect people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, where do we begin? Where does the conversation start? And I think Romans 9 is going to help us to understand where the conversation conversation starts. Because in Romans 9, what I want to show you from this passage are three realities, three realities of, of the heart that you and I must understand if we are going to have some gospel conversations that connect to the lives of people. Take your Bibles, Romans 9, 1 through 5. I want to invite you to rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word together. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans 9, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. They are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service and the promises. The ancestors are theirs and from them by physical descent came Christ who is God over all, praise forever, amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, for time in your word. Father, as we have this conversation over the next few weeks about uh, how to live on your mission and be more effective in opening our mouths and sharing the truth of Christ, I, I pray that you'd help us. And I pray that you would help us this morning uh, as we consider your word. And I pray this morning as we consider your word that you would do a work within our hearts that would rekindle within us a desire to do what you've called us to do. We live in a world that's broken and lost, a world that desperately needs hope. You've called your church to bring forth the good news of Christ, hope in this world. So Father, do a work within us, I ask. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated.
there's going to come a day for those of us who are followers of Jesus that we're going to be in the presence of God. We're going to be with him for all of eternity. And, and there's going to come a day that we're in the presence of God and you're going to be reunited with people that you know and love. It's going to be a glorious day. And I don't know about you, but, but as I'm in the presence of God someday and I'm reunited with people that I love, there are some people I want to meet. And Paul is one of those people I want to meet. Can you imagine I mean, as you read through the letters that he wrote, I mean, it's obvious that, that he's a passionate guy. But just thinking about his background, and, and I know most of you in this room, you know Paul's story that, that, that Paul was, was that guy who was a Pharisee and, and his passion in life, his one desire was to end the Christian movement. He wanted to see every follower of Jesus stamped out. And then on a road to Damascus, Jesus Christ appeared to him and changed his life. And talk about radical change. I know in this room, uh, there are those of us who've experienced some radical change in our own lives. But, but Paul, talk about radical change, right? That this man who, who at one time in his life was, was persecuting Christians, wanting to end this Christian movement, now traveling the known world, sharing about Jesus, sharing about the hope of the gospel, Talk about a transformation. And, and, and now here we are in Romans and, and we're not doing a, a study of the entire letter, obviously, but what a powerful letter. I mean, Romans really is, if you think about it, 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 is, it is Paul's magnum opus. This is a beautiful letter. Paul, when he writes this letter, he has his eyes on Spain. When you read Romans chapter 16, Paul talks about how he wants to, to go to Spain, to share the gospel in Spain. And on the way to Spain, he's going to stop in Rome. He didn't plant this church. He had never been to Rome, but he wants to stop in Rome at this church. And he wants to uh, get to know them. And he wants them to financially support the trip he's going to make to Spain. And so what Paul does in, in the first eight chapters of the book of Romans is, is he explains what he believes. I mean, it's really cool, right? So you know, just think about it. Just, just really quickly, hang with me, bear with me. Just think about this. He, he explains in eight chapters the good news of Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter one, for example, he talks about how, how everybody has turned to idolatry. And you see that in this world. Everybody has turned away from God and turned to worshiping other things. He talks about in Romans chapter two, he talks about the Jewish people. How the Jewish people maybe had a tendency in those days to think they were spiritually advantaged. And Paul says, oh, no, you're not. Because in Romans 3, what does he say? All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, we're all in the same boat. We are all sinners in need of a savior. And in Romans chapter four, he talks about how we gain salvation uh, through faith in Christ. He talks about Abraham and how Abraham had faith and how as followers of Jesus, we have faith in Christ. That's what saves us, right? And you, you come to Romans 5 and he talks about how you can have peace with God. And he talks about in Romans 5 how, how Jesus Christ is the new Adam. Adam in the Garden of Eden fell and sinned, but Jesus Christ did what Adam could not do. He lived a perfect life. You get to Romans chapter 6 and, and Paul talks about how we as God's people are unified in Christ. You get to Romans chapter 7 and, and Paul talks about how we are set free from the law. And in Romans chapter 8, oh, it's so good. Romans chapter Eight, he talks about how the Spirit of God indwells in us and how we can live Spirit-empowered lives. And so, so in eight chapters, Paul gives us this beautiful articulation, this beautiful uh, exposition of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I love, I love, I love, I love the end of Romans chapter eight. These are some of my favorite verses in all of God's word. 
And I've quoted these verses to you over and over again during the years we've been together. But, but just t- turn back to Romans chapter 8. And I, I won't read the whole passage, but it's so powerful. Verse 31 of chapter 8. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him give us everything? You come down, I love these verses, verses 37 through 39. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything, uh, any other created thing will be able to separate us, listen, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Such powerful verses. When Paul thinks about this gospel message, that's his conclusion. And God loves me. Nothing can separate me from his love. I think it would be good for you as a follower of Jesus to commit those verses to memory. Romans 8, 31 through 39 will be a wonderful passage for you to memorize and hold dear to your heart. But do you see it? When Paul considers the gospel of Jesus, are you with me? When Paul considers the gospel of Jesus Christ, what it does in his life. Now watch, watch, watch. It instills within him great confidence. And the gospel does that for you too, doesn't it? When you consider, now come on, when you consider what God has done for you, that he saved you from your sins and gave you the gift of life, abundant and eternal, man, it instills in you great confidence because you know And if if God loves you like his word says he loves you, and if he's willing to send his son to die in your place, to take the penalty for your sin, and then rise from the dead to secure for you life abundant and eternal by defeating sin and death, man, you can be confident in this God. You can know beyond a shadow of doubt that nothing, nothing, nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I want you to see this from the text, right? You, you're going, that, that what, what, what Paul is, is helping us with, he's helping us to understand the love that we have been shown in Christ. And when we understand that love, what it produces is great confidence. You have that confidence, don't you? You have that confidence in what Christ has done in your life, don't you? You have that confidence in the love of Christ. But, but, but this is interesting to me. Not only, now, and you probably don't think about this much. Not only does the love of God produce in us confidence, it also produces in us sorrow. How? How in the world could the love of God produce in your life sorrow? Well, for Paul, it was very simple because Paul knew what? That this love of God was available for who? Everyone. John 3, 16. You probably memorized that verse when you were three or four years old if you grew up in the church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's love is available for who? Everyone. But here's where it gets sorrowful. This great love of God that's available for everyone is rejected by most. Look at what Paul says. You come back to the text and and look at what he says in Romans 9. And and you begin the passage there in verse 1. I speak the truth in, in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and increasing anguish in my heart. 
You see what Paul's saying? I know what it's like to be loved by God. I know what it's like to be changed by God. And Paul travels the world and he sees people doing what? Embracing faith in Christ. And he also sees people what? Rejecting Christ. And it breaks his heart. And then we're going to get into it in the text. Paul is, is really thinking in this passage about his own people, his Jewish people, his Jewish nation, his, his brothers and sisters, and how they've rejected the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, it breaks my heart. And, and I just want to stop here and, and I want this to resonate in, with you and in your heart. And I, I want this to resonate in my heart as well. Th that I'm, I'm convinced that we are not sorrowful enough over the condition of this world. The, the reality is when we, when we watch the media or we consider this world and the sinfulness that we see on a daily basis, what do we typically do? Complain about it. I can't believe so-and-so did this. I can't believe they're saying that now. I can't believe we're calling this right now. And we'll complain about it. Or maybe even worse, we'll engage in it. Some of us engage in the darkness of this world. But what we don't do is we don't engage the world with the gospel. We're not sorrowful over people who are lost and dying and who will spend an eternity in hell for the rejection of the God of all creation. See, what happens in this passage is that Paul understands the love of God. And when Paul understands the love of God, it produces that confidence, but at the same time, it produces sorrow because Paul knows that there are many people who are rejecting that love of God. And when you think about it, when you think about family members that are living contrary to the will of God, who have not placed their faith in Christ, co-workers, friends, they should break your heart. It should disappoint you, disappoint you to action. But, but the reality is, is, is oftentimes we're not disappointed by it. We're disappointed by all kinds of other things. This, this, uh, I, it was a couple of weeks ago, I, I, was, I was here at the office and, 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 and Stacy called me and um, she, she said she had picked something up at the grocery store for me. What I knew was that Bluebell ice cream had just come out with their new flavor. Right, watch this. This, this. this is a new flavor they came out with. Salted caramel brownie. I know. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? I, I, I love brownies. I love bluebell ice cream. And I really love caramel. Oh, I love caramel. My wife makes this wonderful caramel cake every year for my birthday. Now, I mean, I can just eat the icing by itself kind of thing. I don't even need the cake, right? I, mean, I, I just love caramel. And so, so in a half gallon, Oh my goodness, heaven come down and glory fill your, fill your soul, right? And a half gallon brownie, caramel, and bluebell ice cream. Oh, she told me she had picked it up at the grocery store. I could not wait to get home. So I got home that evening and, and, and we had dinner together. And while we're having dinner together, I'm thinking about dessert, right? It's coming. I'm gonna get through this dinner. And after dinner, we're gonna have the real main course, the bluebell salted brownie caramel ice cream. And, 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 and she goes to the freezer and she brings it in. And, and, and my, my eyes are, 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 are just getting bigger and bigger. My heart's pounding in my chest. My taste buds are already tasting. Cause I know, I know bluebell has worked a miracle again and create another perfect ice cream. I know it's coming. And she brings in and puts it on the counter and it is pecan praline ice cream. 
she had picked up the wrong one. She saw it at the grocery store. They were the same color packaging. And so she had picked up the wrong one. Can I tell you, in that moment, my heart, it sank. My heart began to fall out of my chest. I was disappointed. Now, I tell you that, listen, while I was disappointed, do you know what I still had? Ice cream. I was disappointed that it wasn't salted caramel brownie. And I still haven't been able to find it again, but I was disappointed that it wasn't that, but I still had ice cream. You see what I'm saying? Life was still good. Now I'll tell you that, tell you this, you get disappointed over all kinds of silly things. You get disappointed because the weather isn't what you want it to be. You get disappointed because Alabama got beat by Tennessee, praise the Lord. You, 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 get, you get disappointed, you get I'm not even an Alabama fan or a Tennessee fan. You get disappointed about all kinds of things, right? You are prone to lots of disappointment and sorrow in your life, but you don't get disappointed about the one thing that matters to the heart of God, people knowing him. And the reality is, the sad reality is, is some of us are far more disappointed by the outcome of a football game than we are the reality that we have children that are on their way to a Christless eternity. Do you follow? What Paul's saying is that I know the love of God. And because I know the love of God, it creates confidence in me, but also sorrow because I realize that this love of God is being rejected. But then listen when it goes on to say, and we got to move, you come on. And he, again, he's speaking specifically, specifically about who? His own people. Listen to what he says. For I could wish, this is oh, such a powerful verse, verse three. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. Do you hear what he's saying? If I, now it's impossible, it couldn't happen because no one can snatch you out of the hands of God and it's not possible. Paul's saying, man, this is how heartbroken I am over my own people. Man, if, if, if I could be cursed and, and, and in exchange for them, I, I would. I just want them to know the love of God. And listen to what he says, verse four, they are Israelites. Then belong the adoption. You know this about the Israelites. That of, out of all the nations of the earth, back in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham. Out of all the people in the earth, God called Abraham and created a nation through Abraham. These were God's special people. And, and to them belonged the adoption, the glory. They saw the glory of God. They, they, they were a part of the Exodus. They came through the Red Sea. They were at Mount Sinai. They had seen God work miraculously in their nation. The covenants. Promises that God made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Promises he made to them at Mount Sinai. The giving of the law, the temple service, right? That they had the, the opportunity to, to go to the temple and be in that place that, that symbolized the presence of God. The promises, specifically the promises of a new covenant, of a Messiah that would come from the Hebrew people. The ancestors are theirs. The Israelites, they get to claim Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Elijah, and all these great saints of the Old Testament. And from them by physical descent came the Christ. Jesus Christ himself was born of this people. Jesus Christ was God over all, praised forever. Do you see what he's saying? This people that I'm a part of, they are a what church? A spiritually privileged people. You could not be any more spiritually privileged than the Jewish people were in those days. Yet what did they do? 
completely missed and even rejected the good news of the Messiah. Paul says, this breaks my heart. And I, and I know that, that, that here in the United States and in the community in which we live, in our city, in our state, that, that we're not ancient Israel, right? But, but wouldn't you agree with me that, that we live in a spiritually privileged area? I mean, you think about it. You, you know people in, in, in your circle of influence that maybe grew up in the church but walked away. They've heard it, but yet chose to reject it. Uh, Logan and Andy and, and Joshua were in a place this week where they shared the gospel with people who never heard of Jesus. But here in this context, in Charleston, the holy city, there are four churches on every corner. Right? I don't even know how it works, but they're everywhere. Count the number of churches that you passed this morning to get to here. Do you see what I'm saying? Talk about living among a spiritually privileged people. And yet think of the darkness that exists in our own city. Think about how week in and week out, the, the easiest day it is for me to get to church is on a Sunday morning. There's no traffic because ain't nobody going to church. You see what I'm saying? Spiritually privileged, rejection at every turn. That's what Paul's saying. Paul knows it. Paul feels it. Paul experiences it. And when, when Paul thinks of the spiritually privileged people, the Israelites, now, now obviously he's thinking of the en, entire nation. He's thinking about, about thousands upon thousands of people who've rejected the Messiah. But I bet you Paul's also thinking of individual people that he knows. He's thinking of his own family members. He's thinking of friends. He's thinking of loved ones. You see? And he knows what sin has done. Sin has, has darkened the hearts. Sin has blinded the hearts of the very people that he loves. Now, I just want you to understand this reality, right? Understand the blindness that, the, that darkens the hearts of people who are far from God. Darkness. People that you know and love, they live in darkness. But, but that should not leave us hopeless, because you're going to eventually get, and we don't have time to get there this morning, but you're going to get to Romans chapter 11, where Paul's going to say, yes, they're spiritually blind, they're dark, but God's not done with them. And that person that you love and care for, who's far from God, God's not done. That, that person that you work with, who you've been praying for, God's not done. You see? Yes, spiritual darkness blinds the hearts of many people we know and love, but God's not done. And so, so as we begin this time over the next few weeks, we're gonna have some very practical conversations about how we can engage people who live in the darkness. I, I just want you to start right here. I want you to do uh, one thing, two things. I want you to identify your oikos. Now, I know what you think. We've, oikos, what's that? It's not Greek yogurt. Just hold on for just a moment, right? In your chair, you found a card this morning. I want you to go ahead and get that card. Uh, there was a pastor who years ago kind of helped me to think through this. He, he, he talked about how when you read the New Testament, you see a couple things happening. You see Acts chapter two, where, where, where people come to faith in Christ under Peter's preaching. You see other places in scripture where, where, where you see mass number of people come to faith in Christ under the preaching of an apostle. But this, this gentleman also talked about how when you read through the New Testament, you also see the gospel traveling through households. 
Uh, the, the word oikos is the Greek word for household. Now, this is interesting, right? For example, you think about uh, uh, Mark chapter 2. Jesus was in, at, at the home of Levi the tax collector, right? A sinner. And who was there with him? Tax collector friends. And in that household, those tax collectors came to faith in Jesus Christ. Or you think about Mark chapter 5. When Jesus healed the man who was demon-possessed, he told him, go to your home and tell them what happened to you. Or you think about Cornelius. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, when he came to faith in Jesus Christ, not only did he come to faith in Christ, but his household came to faith in Christ. Or you think about Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer. When the Philippian jailer came to Christ, not only did he come to faith in Christ, but his household came to faith in Christ. The point being is that when you think about how the gospel travels, oftentimes the gospel travels, the good news travels through relational circles that are already established in your life. Yes, there is a place for evangelistic preaching, crusades, mass events, you know, uh, trunk or treats. We're going to share the gospel with a lot of people. Yes, there's a place for that, but there's also a place for you in your own circle of influence because God has given every one of us in this room a what, church? A household. And when I talk about household, I, I don't just mean the household that you live in on your street, your physical address. I'm talking about a circle of influence. That every one of you, you have a circle of influence. And I think that circle of influence is, is strategically designed sovereignly by God. That God has given you a circle of influence. There are some people who might not agree with you and where you are in life, but they will still listen to you because they love you. You see what I'm saying? And so God has given every one of us a circle of influence. And in that circle of influence, there are lost people. It could be that neighbor across the street from you. It could be your, your children. It could be your grandchildren. It could be that coworker. It could be that friend at school. God has given around us some people that we know do not know Jesus. And I just want to challenge you this morning right now to begin writing down names of people that you know in your circle of influence that are lost and dying. Go ahead and do that. I want you to write those people down because here's the reality. God is at work in those hearts. And here's the reality. On that list of people that you know and love, maybe not all of them, but some of them will come to faith in Jesus Christ if you would open your mouth and talk to them and share the gospel. That, that's the reality. Because Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 9, the harvest is plentiful, but it's the laborers who are few. You see what I'm saying? And so I want you to identify this morning those people in your circle of influence that you know are lost, that you know that you could speak to. And I want you to begin to just today and for the next week just to pray. Pray for those people. And specifically, I want you to pray for, for opens in your oikos. I want you, one, to pray that God would open your eyes. Who is it in your circle of influence right now that God is at work in? that you could see someone in your circle of influence that might be open right now to a conversation about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray for your eyes to open to that person and pray for God to open hearts, that God would begin to open the heart of that person or multiple people in your oikos, right? That he would open their hearts to the truth and, and, and pray for open opportunities, that this week or next week or in the weeks ahead, there will be a time and a place that maybe you could begin to have that opportunity actually share. And when that opportunity arises, pray for, for God to open your mouth. 
that you would have the boldness to open your mouth and begin to talk about Jesus. All I want you to do for the next week is begin to pray daily over these names, these four opens that I just mentioned to you. And if you're in a Life Connection group, you're going to start doing this every week in your Life Connection group. What I want to happen within this body of believers is that God renew within us a passion for these people that we know, that we know people who are dear to us, that God would renew a passion within us uh, to, to share the truth with them, that we would be more disappointed about their lostness than we are disappointed about how the football game turned out yesterday. Do you follow me? The hearts of people that you know and love are darkened. But as long as they're breathing, there's still hope. And you're the one that can provide that hope. I want to show you one more thing and we're done. Understand the blindness that darkens the hearts of people who are far from God. Going to the final slide and we'll be done. And finally, understand your mission to people who are far from God. What I love about the book of Romans, and again, we don't have time to study the whole book this morning. We'll probably come back one year and study the whole book together on a Sunday morning. But what I love about the book of Romans is Paul knows his mission. Paul knows why he's been saved. He's been saved to make the good news known. And from Romans 1 to Romans 16, Paul's sharing the gospel to people who already knew the gospel. But he's sharing with them. This is the hope of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Paul was willing to give his life for the sake of this mission. And this calling that was on Paul's life, it's on your life as well. It might look different. Paul, God might not be calling you to give up everything and travel the world sharing the gospel but God has put you in a circle of influence. And it is your, it is, it is, it is your mission in life to make Christ known among the people that he has put around you. And to, come on church, listen to me, to not do that is disobedience to the Lord. Here's the sad reality. When you drove to Northwood this morning, you drove past lots of churches that are on the verge of closing their doors. Do you know why they're on closing their doors? Because they've taken their eyes off the mission. That's the reality. Let that not be true of us. And so listen, there was a missionary. His name was, well, he's still alive actually, Stephen Smith. He was an IMB missionary, International Mission Board missionary in, in, in China for a number of years. And he, he wrote this. I thought it was helpful. He says, every believer has four callings. It's the voice from above. It's the Great Commission. You know this, that Jesus said as he was ascending back to the Father, go, make disciples of all nations, teaching and baptizing in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God himself has called us to be on mission. But there's also, oh, the voice from hell. You remember the story of Lazarus and the rich and, and the, the poor man, or excuse me, Lazarus and the rich man. And how the rich man called out from hell, would somebody please go tell my family? And just that reality for us that, 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 there, that there are people right now spending an eternity apart from Christ because of the rejection of God. And that reality should compel us to be about the mission that God has called us to. There's the voice from inside. Inside you just, you know this as a follower of Jesus. Your conscience knows this. Your heart knows this. You know that this is what God has called you to do. And finally, there's the voice from outside. You know people right now who are far from God, your circle of influence. And, and they might seem like they have their life together. They might seem like, like they've re rejected the gospel altogether. They might seem like they're not interested in what you have to say. 
But what you and I know is the reality is, is they're crying out for help. They need to hear the good news. And so here's what I want us to do. As we end our time together, I just want to ask us in this room to ask God to help us to have a heart that is similar to what Paul has in Romans 9. We're never going to be a people who grasp the mission of God until first we allow God to capture our hearts and understand how loved we are by him. And so I would ask this morning, as we begin this series, to ask God to change your heart. And I just want to challenge you in a few ways before we're done together. I want to challenge you over the next few weeks just to be present. I need you here. I need you to be here for the next four weeks or so so we can talk about these things. I need you to be present. I need you to be prayerful that you begin praying over these names and praying for our church. I need you to participate. You see what I'm saying? I want you in a life connection group because we're going to talk through these issues together as a faith family. And I need you to be pliable. Let God challenge you. Don't come and just sit and absorb these next few weeks. Come sit and participate with us and ask God how he wants to change you. And maybe this morning as we end our time together, there might be somebody in this room who's far from God. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. My heart breaks for you because I know that if you do not place your faith in Jesus Christ, what eternity awaits for you? Separation from God. And if you've never placed your faith in Christ, today is the day to believe that Jesus Christ came, lived the life that you could not live, perfect in every way, and then went to a cross and died the death that you deserved. He suffered the punishment for your sins. And then three days later, rose from the dead so that if you'll believe in him and turn from your sins and turn to him by faith, you will be gloriously saved. You will be given hope and life abundant and eternal, a free gift, a, a gift that surpasses the value of any other gift you'll ever receive in this life an eternal gift of God's grace. I'll be down front this morning. I'd love to talk to you about you, how you can begin a relationship with Jesus if you've never done so. And maybe you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus. And maybe you just want to gather around front with me as a follower of Jesus and ask God to begin this morning to do a work in your heart, to awaken your heart to the needs that are around you, the gospel needs that are around you. However, God's leading you to respond this morning. You respond to him by faith. Father, thank you for this morning, for time in your word. Now, Father, as we end our time together, I pray that you'd renew within us a desire to be about your mission, what you've called us to. And I, I know that over these next few weeks, we're gonna to spend together talking about this issue. It's gonna be challenging and maybe even a bit uncomfortable for us. But Father, we need the reminders from your spirit that this is what you've called us to do as your people. Father, if there's one in this room this morning who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray that person will come now, trusting you as Lord, and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You rise to your feet. As we have a time of invitation together, you come now as the Spirit of God leads you.